Well, uh, three weeks ago, we had our 10th anniversary, and there at the anniversary worship gathering, we announced uh, this theme, this motto, be his witnesses to build his kingdom, be his witnesses to build his kingdom, based on Acts chapter 1. And that word witnesses that's found in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, is the Greek word martyreus, martyreus. Now, just quickly, thinking off the top of your head, what English word does that sound like? Correct, martyr. Now, in the first century, that word martyr simply means witness, but by the late first century and second century, as Christians were being imprisoned and even executed for their faith, it began to mean someone who was a witness who would be willing to be imprisoned for their faith and then even executed for their faith. And that's where we get this term martyr today. It simply means witness. But in our world, it means someone who is willing to even die for their faith. Every year it's estimated that 100,000 to 160,000 Christians are martyred. They're executed for their faith because they believe in the Lord Jesus Christ or they're sharing their faith. 100,000 to 160,000 Christians are executed, martyred for their faith. And that averages out to a Christian every three to four minutes. So in the course of this sermon, that's going to happen uh, anywhere from eight to ten Christians will be executed somewhere in the world. And the luxury that we enjoy to come together and gather like this in the freedom that we enjoy to worship and not have perhaps secret police sitting amongst us taking names of who's gathering today or maybe even people waiting outside to arrest us is a great freedom that we enjoy in America because for many of our brothers and sisters in Christ, this morning is a morning in which they are meeting secretly in basements they're meeting in secret locations uh, because of the fact they have the threat of imprisonment or even death. Now, here's the thing that we're going to look at today, that being a follower of Christ, uh, when you place your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, it's not just you going to heaven one day and securing that. You are now in a battle. There's a battle going on, a spiritual battle, and you have signed up to be now a part of God's army, God's side, God's family. And so what we're going to look at today is our response to opposition and even persecution. So if you have your Bibles, look at Acts chapter 4. What should be our response to persecution or opposition? And my thing is this. I don't think any of us in here, perhaps, will be called here in Houston, greater Houston, to ever choose between life and renouncing Jesus Christ, choosing to live our lives or renounce to turn our backs on Jesus. I don't think we'll ever be faced with that. It may happen. I can't say. But here's the choice that you and I make every single morning that we get up. Every single morning that we wake up, it's not probably the choice of, am I willing to die for Jesus today? The question is, am I willing to live for Jesus Christ, to be his witness today, wherever I go? Am I willing to be his witness, to allow the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit, to fill me so that I'm salt and light wherever I go? Am I willing to live for him? And again, you may not experience persecution in the sense of your life or imprisonment, but you may face, as a believer, opposition or even shunning. Because you refuse, because you're a man or woman of integrity, Christian integrity, and you say to your boss, who asked you to lie on a sales report, just a little bit, just a little fudging of the numbers, and you say, you know what, I'm not willing to do that. You're going golfing with a boss, you're shunned from those. All your other work buddies are going golfing with a boss, you're shunned from those experiences and opportunities. It may mean those types of things. It may be being mocked. It may be excluded from family gatherings and gatherings of friends 
because of the fact that you have chosen to identify with Jesus Christ. So what's our response? We're going to look at uh, Acts chapter 4. Let's look at verses 1 through 12 to start with. As they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captains of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to them, being greatly disturbed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in prison until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the message believed, and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. So if you remember last week in Acts chapter 3, it's about 3 o'clock. There's this man who's been lame. He's been not able to walk for 40 years since he was born. And then Peter and John are able to say, in the power of Jesus, authority of Jesus, rise and walk. And he's able to walk. And so now it's already the evening. They've been arrested because they're now proclaiming that Jesus Christ is able to save. And it says here at the very end of verse 4, he says, about 5,000 men came to believe. Now, that doesn't include women and children, so that number may be even double or triple. 15,000 people came to faith in Jesus Christ. Now, in a city like Houston, you're saying we've got almost 7 million people like here in greater Houston. Like, who cares about that? Well, Jerusalem, they estimate, was that could have been almost a fifth of the population that came to faith in one day. 20% of the population, some lower estimates of the population say that 20% of the population in Jerusalem came to faith in Jesus Christ that day. So this is what they are facing. Look at uh, verse 2, being greatly disturbed. Some translations say annoyed. Uh, the word literally is overworked. So imagine this, someone who's just working your last nerve. The Sadducees have been worked over. Their nerves have been worked over. Why is that? Because of two things. Number one, the Sadducees were the primary teachers, and now James, uh, Peter, and John, these two fishermen who are untrained, are now teaching the people. And the Sadducees are saying, that's our job. We're supposed to be doing that. So they've now taken this place of authority. Secondly is this, the Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection. And what are they proclaiming? They're proclaiming that Jesus Christ is resurrected from the dead, which goes contrary to what they believe. Old Sunday school joke. That's why they were sad, you see, because they didn't believe in the resurrection. He says in verse 9, On the next day the rules and elders and the tribes were gathered together in Jerusalem, and Annas the high priest, and there were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and all who were of high priestly descent. It's basically a who's who of the Jewish culture. When they had placed him in the center, this is the same place where they tried Jesus and began to inquire, by what power and what name have you done this? Then Peter, underline this, filled with the Holy Spirit, Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we're on trial today for a benefit done to a sick man, as to how this man has been made well, let it be known to all of you, to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name, this man stand here before you in good health. He is the stone, Psalm 118, which, the, uh, which was rejected by you, the builders, but which became the chief cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men, mankind, by which we must be saved. So again, we remember from last week, it's the miracle that sets up the platform for the message, right? It's this transformation that sets up the platform for the testimony, to testify. And what do they do? Not only do Jane, uh, Peter and John testify to the people who are there at the temple, now they're testifying, filled with the Holy Spirit, to these Jewish leaders, and they're on trial. These uneducated men are sitting before the who's who of Jewish society, and they're saying to them, condemning them from Psalm 118, saying, this Jesus 
is the one that you crucified, you killed, but he came back from the dead. And in verse 12, he says, and there's no one else by which any of us can be saved and be made right with God. Here's point number one. People will be annoyed with Christ's kingdom work in the world. The Sadducees and the religious leaders, they were greatly disturbed. They were annoyed. People will be annoyed with Christ's kingdom work in the world because it's disruptive. It's disruptive. The other part is this. The Sadducees and religious leaders, especially the Sadducees, had been in one with the Roman government, the Roman powers that be, and they knew that if the Christians, those who were witnesses like us, would continue to proclaim that Jesus is king, it would bring trouble from the Roman government because they believed that only Caesar is king. And so they knew that their political power was at stake, their influence in society was at stake if Jesus was gonna continue to be proclaimed. So people will be annoyed with Christ's kingdom work in the world. Like I mentioned to you last week, if you look at Colossians 1.13, you can write that in your notes or in your margins. Colossians 1.13 says that you and I who have placed our faith in Jesus Christ have been transferred from the kingdom of darkness or the domain of darkness into the wonderful kingdom of his beloved son, the kingdom of light. We've been transferred. In Ephesians chapter six, this whole section on spiritual warfare, starting in verse 10, talks about how there's a spiritual warfare going on in two invisible realms, the spiritual realms that are at war with visible, physical, manifest consequences in our world. Um... You may have seen this yesterday and the day before when two invisible realms collide with visible consequences. I don't know if you know this, but Houston has warm, humid Gulf air. Amen? And that's why many of you go on vacation to Colorado and other places because you're tired of the warm, humid air. This warm, humid air, we cannot see. It's invisible. But this is what happens every now and then, like this past uh, Friday and Saturday, yesterday and the day before, a cold front, a invisible burst of cold, dry air hits this warm, humid air. And now we have something known as kingdoms in conflict. What happens when cold, dry air hits warm, humid air? Come on, y'all, there's a picture here to give you the answer. <laughs> this, this is not a trick question. I know I do a lot of trick questions and curveballs. We have thunder and lightning and rain and hail because these two invisible realms have collided against each other. And what happens is we see thunder and lightning or hear thunder and we see lightning and there's rain and flooding because of these two invisible realms that hit each other. And that's what happens when we are witnesses for Jesus Christ. When we see Christ's kingdom is growing and expanding, there's another kingdom that does not want to see Christ's kingdom grow. And these two kingdoms are in conflict. And we, as believers, are placed in this spiritual warfare. And so people are going to get annoyed, bothered by, work their last nerve when Christ's kingdom is at work in this world. He says this in verse 13. Now, as they observe the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated. That word uneducated means without grammar. So their nouns and verbs didn't match. And untrained, that word untrained in the Greek literally is idiotai, which sounds like the English word? Idiot, yes, they were unlearned men. They were amazed and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. So get this, 
These were fishermen. They had not been to the greatest schools of learning Hebrew and the Torah and the Old Testament like these religious scholars had been. And they recognized that. They recognized that they had not been to all the right schools, that they were just fishermen, blue collar people who Jesus Christ had called to follow him. And he says they recognized that they were this, uh, this way, but also they were amazed because that they were speaking with such power and confidence and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. And when it says having been with Jesus, they're not talking historically. They're not saying, ah, oh, we remember when Jesus was walking this world and walking this planet, like they were the ones that were with him. I don't think that's what they're talking about. They're saying that these untrained, uneducated men, these idiots, idioti, there's something unique about them. They have a confidence, a boldness, a power about them, and they recognize the spirit of Christ in them, that they're witnesses for Jesus Christ. It's Jesus Christ working in and through them, that they have spent time in an intimate relationship with him. And so here's my question to you. Is that able to be said about you? That when you show up to work tomorrow, is there a difference in your life that you may not have gone to Bible college? You may not have gone to seminary. You may not have gone to these theological institutions, but they say there's something different about this person that comes to work every morning. That they've been with somebody, that they have a power, a confidence that I just can't put my finger on. And this verse is not saying this. This verse is not saying, I've heard this twisted many times before. That's why we don't need to go to Bible college or seminary, right? We just need to walk with Jesus, which is true, which is true. We need to walk with Jesus and have his power. The Holy Spirit is gonna empower us to be his witnesses. But that would contradict uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4 and 2 Timothy chapter 2, where the apostle Paul says to Timothy, his spiritual son, to train and to learn, to be a worker, not ashamed. If you remember Awana, he says, study the word, learn the word, be trained, because the Holy Spirit meets you both in the pulpit or in Sunday school or when you're leading community group, he meets you there. He meets you when you're there in front of your coworkers sharing about Jesus Christ. But the Holy Spirit also meets you in the study when you're alone with him. Amen? He meets you in the classroom. He meets you in the Sunday school room. He meets you right now when you're learning. So it's not advocating for saying, don't study, don't learn. But he says, these blue-collar fishermen were recognized as having confidence and boldness. Verse 14, and seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, again, this testimony, they had nothing to say in reply, but when they had... Uh, Order them to leave the council. They began to confer one another, saying, what are we to do with these men? For the fact that a noteworthy miracle has taken place through them is apparent to all who live in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But so that, they will, uh, so that it will not spread any further among the people, let's warn them not to speak any longer to any person in his name. You can underline that whole section, 15 through 17. Because this is the beauty of narrative. Luke is recording all this after all has happened. He's a medical doctor. He's written Luke, the Gospel of Luke. He's written Acts as a historical document. Notice what he says in verse 15, 16, and 17. Peter and John are on trial. Verses 15, 16, and 17 tell us what the people on the other side were thinking and conferring about. Now, there's two ways that could have happened. The Holy Spirit, because scriptures inspire, could have told Luke this is what was going on amongst the council as Peter and John were on trial. This was what was going on. That could have happened. But here's what I believe happened. 
I believe because of the witness and the testimony of Peter and John that some members of the council, some Sadducees and Pharisees, came to faith in Jesus Christ. And later on, they say, probably sitting around the table, you remember that one time when Peter and John were on trial? Let me give you the scoop on what we were thinking about and saying on the other side. Let me tell you what we were conferring and talking about. We were like confused because here was a man who could not walk for 40 years, who's now standing before us and everyone saw it. And if we opposed them and opposed the miracle, then everyone would start a riot. So apparently, this is why I believe, that someone in that council, one of the Sadducees, one of the Pharisees, one of the religious leaders, one of the scribes, came to faith in Jesus Christ. And a year later, two years later, was talking to Luke and saying, this is what we were thinking about. This is what we were doing. So here's the, 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 the principle in that, is you never know when you're testifying and you're being a witness, who you're impacting. You may think, well, this person at my work or this other soccer parent or this other person didn't come to faith in Jesus Christ. You never know the impact you're making. Amen? Verse 18, and when they had summoned them, they commend them, and so now this is back public records, everyone saw this, and they command them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, whatever is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, make your own judgment for we cannot stop talking about what we have seen and heard. That's what a witness is. A witness is someone who testifies what we have seen and heard. We can't stop. When, uh, when they had threatened them further, they let them go, finding no, uh, no basis on which to punish them on account of the people because they were all glorifying God for what had happened. For the man on whom this miracle of healing had been performed was more, uh, was more than 40 years old. So they could find no grounds at all. And he says again, verse 20, I'll read that again. For we cannot stop talking about what we have seen and heard. You can write this down next to it, Jeremiah 20, verse 9. Not Jeremiah 29, Jeremiah 20, verse 9, where Jeremiah says this. If I were told to stop talking about what God has done, if I was told to stop testifying about what God has done, impossible because God's word is like a fire in my bones. It's like, get, it has to get out. I'm on fire on the inside. And that's what they're saying here. There's a Holy Spirit who's symbolized by fire. The Spirit is at work in our lives and our hearts, and we cannot stop talking about what we've seen and heard. And my friends, is that true about you? That you can not only have that time you remember at camp or maybe at Breakaway or maybe even at Bayou City Fellowship where you put your faith in Jesus Christ and for that two weeks or three weeks or a month, you could not stop talking about what Jesus Christ did for you. Do you still have that today, years and months, decades later of what Jesus Christ did for you back then and what he continues to do for you right now? I forgot to testify last week uh, and I told you when God transforms you or heals you to testify, I do want to testify. So, um, there's a rash of salmonella going around in, in, in America, but especially in Texas. Y'all know that? Did y'all hear about that salmonella going around? They don't know what the cause is. So last Thursday, I finished my run, uh, did my devotions, prayer, journaling, and Bible study reading, went for my run, made my smoothie. Now, normally, I've got the endorphins kicking in. I've got that runner's high. And uh, on Thursday morning, I didn't feel the runner's high. Didn't feel it. And I'm like, man, what's going on? I normally have this runner's high. Drank my smoothie and then got showered and dressed and then came to Bay City Fellowship. 
worked in my office for a while, and I told our staff, I said, I'm going to go home for lunch. I'm not feeling well. And so I scanned myself. I had a fever, did the COVID test and all that, no COVID at all. It went away after 24 hours. And then I had all these symptoms, which are disgusting, which I won't share with you. But I remember texting our elders, and I said, Spring Branch elders, would you pray for me? I'm not feeling well. I've got the COVID test, COVID negative. I don't have even the COVID symptoms. I don't know what it is. Well, then by Saturday morning, I was back to 100%, back to normal and all that. So I was able to preach, but I asked our elders, hey, would you get ready to preach just in case? Keith, I almost called you as well. Would you be ready to preach just in case? But we prayed and prayed and prayed, and then within 24 hours, God healed me. So I want to testify to God doing that, all right? But then on Sunday evening, we were getting ready to go to bed. My wife was looking at the news, and she said, there's a salmonella outbreak right now in Texas. And she listed the symptoms like, that's it. That's what I had. So anyway, God healed me of this salmonella. I don't know how I got it, but I'm testifying to you today. That's what God did, and I can't stop speaking of what God has done. So here's point number two. Christ's kingdom will face opposition and threat. Christ's kingdom will face opposition and threat. They were threatened, saying, don't ever speak of this again. Don't ever speak of Jesus again. Christ's kingdom will face opposition and threat because, there again, there are two invisible realms, kingdoms, that are at war with each other. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. We'll face opposition and threat. Now, at this point, I don't know about you. I don't know about you all. But what would you do if you faced opposition and even threat, maybe from political leaders and the police here in America, if we became a nation in which we began to persecute Christians, like you will go to jail if you identify with Jesus Christ, you will be put to death if you name the name of Jesus Christ, what would you do? If tomorrow morning your boss said, you know what, new policy, I know this probably goes against every HR policy in the world, but no more Christians are allowed to work here. If you name the name of Jesus, you're not allowed to work here. What would you do? Look at what they do. What's our response? Verse 23. When they had been released, they went to their own companions to reward everything that the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they heard this, they raised their voices to God with one mind. You can underline that word, one mind. There's this unity. And said, Lord, it is you who made the heaven and earth and the sea and everything that is in them. And by the Holy Spirit, through the mouth of our father David, your servant said, here's Psalm 2 that Joel read in a call to worship. Why were the nations insolent and the peoples plotting in vain? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. Verse 27, for truly in this city, they were gathered together against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along the Gentiles and the people of Israel to do whatever your hand and purpose destined to occur. Talking about the sovereignty of God. God is the primary uh, effect, effective cause. He's the primary one. We're the secondary instrumental cause. Verse 29, and now, Lord, look at their threats and grant it to your bondservants to vote for the right presidential candidate that we will not experience persecution anymore. Is that in your translation? He says, he says, and now look at their threats and grant it to your bondservants to move to a country where we'll experience better liberty. He says, and now look at their threats and grant it that you would wipe them out, take them out of the picture, 
that we would not experience persecution and opposition anymore. This is what the text says. And now, Lord, look at their threats and grant your bondservants to speak your word with all confidence. Some translations say boldness. Y'all, they prayed for boldness. They didn't pray for a change in leadership. They didn't pray that God would get them out of it. They didn't pray for protection. They prayed for boldness. Right in the face of these Jewish leaders say, if you say anything again, they threaten them with imprisonment. You will go to jail. And what do they pray? They don't pray for protection. They don't pray for a change of leadership. They pray, God, give us boldness to speak up even more with all confidence. And you all, that should be our prayer as well. Not pray to be obnoxious. Please don't get that confused. I think the world is tired of obnoxious Christians. He's saying pray for boldness, that we have a message, we have a Messiah that changes lives, and we cannot stop speaking of with boldness and confidence what we have seen and heard and experienced ourselves. They pray for boldness. Verse 30, while you extend your hand to heal and signs and wonders take place through the name of your holy servant Jesus, Verse 31, and when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken. We don't know if it was literally like an earthquake or they experienced a feeling of being shaken. And they were all filled. So they all prayed for boldness. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Underline that because it was Peter who was filled with the Holy Spirit. They were all filled. Now, it's not just Peter. All filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. They prayed for boldness. Fill the Holy Spirit, the place is shaken, and what happens? God answers that prayer, and they all, not just Peter, not just John, not just the apostles, they all began to speak with boldness, all confidence, is a literal translation. Not confidence in themselves, but confidence in Jesus Christ. Romans 1.1.6, he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. They lost their shame, they had boldness and proclaim the good news. So here's point number three. Pray for boldness. Pray for boldness. Pray for boldness. Pray for boldness. In the face of opposition, in the face of even persecution, and perhaps there's some amongst you today who God was gonna mobilize and send you to parts of the world where it is illegal to be a Christian or even to share your faith. If you can't be bold here, how are you going to be bold over there? In a nation that we experience great freedom, boldness, we pray for boldness. And here's the thing, the reason why, is because only the power and authority of Jesus Christ has the power and authority to change lives both right now in time, but also in eternity. Only the power and authority of Jesus Christ, only the name of Jesus Christ can I get like one or two amens? Like only Jesus, only Jesus. But here's the thing, and I'll admit this. We're bold about so many things that both right now and eternity really don't matter. If you've got a friend whose marriage is struggling, whose lives are a mess, you can gig them, hook them all day. And that is not going to change their lives. Only Jesus 
It has the power and authority to change their lives. And yet we're more bold about the college we root for, about the fact that Mississippi State, golly. We're bold about these things that don't matter. We're bold about our political parties, about this candidate, that candidate. Maybe they can make a little change right now, but in turn, they can't make a flip of a difference. And so we pray for boldness, not about these inconsequential things. And I'm not saying legalistically don't go to football games and cheer. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying, if there's something that we ought to be bold about that will change people's lives, change marriages, change destinies, change families, transform churches, transform communities, it's the name of Jesus. And so we pray for boldness. But notice this. They don't just pray for boldness as they're filled with the Holy Spirit. Verse 32. We'll wrap up here. And the congregation, the gathering of those who believe were one heart and soul. So notice this. Opposition and persecution. The believers, one heart, one soul. Cardia, we get the word cardiologist. Soul, suke, which you get the word psychologist. Notice what he didn't say, excuse me. He didn't say one skin and one socioeconomics. They weren't united on external things. Colors they went to, skin color, neighborhood, political party affiliation. They were united, one heart, cardia, heart for the Lord, one soul, submitted to Jesus Christ. And not one of them claimed that anything belonged to him was his own, but all things were common property to them. This is how one they were. They were one heart and soul, and now they viewed even their external things, their property, as being common. And with great power, the apostles were giving testimony of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and abundant grace was upon them all, for there was not a needy person among them, for all who were owners of land or houses would sell them and bring the proceeds of the sales and lay them at the apostles' feet, and they would be distributed to each to the extent they had a need, or had need, and he had need. And then he says this in verse 36 and 37. We'll wrap up. Now, Joseph, a Levite of Cyprian birth. Why does he mention a Levite? Does anyone here remember the Old Testament? Of all the 12 tribes of Israel, who are the only ones that didn't own land? The Levites, yes. By the apostles, uh, who's also called Barnabas, the son of encouragement. By the apostles, which translates son of encouragement, owned a tract of land. So in this new dispensation, this new age of grace, the church age, this Levite now owned a piece of land. When before in the Old Testament, the Levites didn't own land. So now he's enjoying this freedom to own land. Finally, I get to have a piece of land. But what does he do? He says, so he sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. You all, I want to say this. Number one, for those of you, I just got an email this week from a member here. If you have people in your life, if you have people that you know here that have a need, can't pay a certain bill, can't put food on the table, we have a benevolence budget. You simply have to email any of our staff members here and say, hey, I've got a friend or I've got a need. We have a benevolence budget because number two of your generous giving, we're able to do that because you say my money is not mine. I'm giving it. I'm laying it at the church's feet. I'm giving it to the church and I'm now using it so that people who have a need can have those needs met, so I just want to make you aware of that. So if you have a need or know someone who has a need, 
please let us know. Here's a testimony too. We give so much. And generally speaking, since I've been here, uh, the budget of benevolence always goes underutilized. So if you have someone in need or you yourself are in need, contact any staff member and we'll put you in touch with the benevolence team who will, Lord willing, meet with them and gather with them and figure out how we can help as a church. And please continue to give generously so that we can continue to do that. Here's point number four, and we'll wrap up. Live in oneness. Live in oneness. There were one heart and soul, one common goal, mission, evangelism, great commission, testifying about the resurrected Jesus Christ. They were bold about it, but they recognized when persecution hits, when opposition hits, everyone knows this. If you've played sports at any point in your life, Whenever you have a tough season, a challenge, the team that scatters and falls apart is going to lose. The team that stays connected and united as one. That's what has to happen when you face opposition. And that's what goes on here. The church, rather than scattering, is now united. Rather than, and when I say scattered, because later on they are going to get scattered by persecution. When I say scattered because of preferences, or things that could divide them, they say, let's press in further one heart, one soul, together. And sadly, the church in America, and even around the world, is divided along very petty things. And as persecution and opposition increases in America, you all, we have to become united across racial lines, across political lines, across generational lines. And we saw this back in 2008 and 2009 during that recession in 08 and 09. For many, many years, a lot of parachurch ministries, and by parachurch, I mean ministries like InterVarsity, Fellowship Christian Athletes, or like uh, Jews for Jesus, right? They're like, hey, we're not the church. We're not the church. And, and not all of them. Some would almost have this air of we're better than church because we're on campus. We're doing things that the local church aren't doing. But this is what happened in 08, 09, where the recession hit. Giving went down. And you know what happened? It forced parachurch ministries to now unite with the church and churches and parachurches to work together because the resources and giving had dropped. And there's going to be a time, y'all, in America where if persecution and opposition increases, we're going to be forced, hopefully, to come together as one body. But sadly, we're being divided. I was talking to a ministry leader recently and she shared this very sad thing. Very sad to me. And I know it's sad to the Lord. Sad to even the Apostle Paul. Because when the Apostle Paul talked about our use of liberty, the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ, he talked about it so that we would stay united, you all. To stay focused on Jesus. To have the mission of making disciples. And this ministry leader said, our ministry has been divided by vaxxers and anti-vaxxers. We're split. A ministry focused on Jesus and seeing his kingdom expand here in greater Houston is split over vaxxers and anti-vaxxers. I can't imagine Jesus one day at the Bema seat saying, Okay, okay, you divided over whether I was God or not God. Good job, good job. That's, that's a key doctrine. You divided over whether the Bible was inspired and inerrant or not. Good job, good job. Uh, you divided over a vaccine? A use of liberty, of freedom? 
It's like dividing over whether you're going to eat clean or unclean meats. You have freedom. And you divide it over that. Not a core piece of doctrine that can condemn you and damn you in eternity, but a core doctrinal thing like that. You divide it over that? I imagine Apostle Paul sitting over here saying, hold on a sec. When I wrote 1 Corinthians, I was talking about like unclean and clean meats. That you would use liberty to stay united as a body. Not split over that. I'll move on. Sorry. I, I, I was reminded of this. Uh, we visited San Diego two or three years ago, two years ago for vacation. And we were going through the San Diego Zoo and we were riding that little troll, trolley train thing. And the guy said this. He said, if you look over here, you'll see a herd of antelope. And this is what range animals do. Range animals will gather in a circle. And it's called a protective circle or defensive circle. And they will all form a circle and they're all looking outwards. Why do they do that? Is because all of them are united on this thing. They know they've got opposition. They've got a hungry lion or hyenas that are going to attack them. So what they all do is they got all each other's back. They got each other's back. And they're all scanning the horizon looking. And soon something happens, they warn the others. And I remember sitting in this trolley almost crying because I'm like saying, that's what the church should be. That's what the local church and the church global should be, is that we should all have each other's back. To the point when we have opposition, when we have persecution, we all have one another's back. And sadly, because of all the divisiveness along all these fragmented lines, we're much more likely to stab each other in the back than have each other's back. And so again, live in oneness. So the prayer is this, pray for boldness and oneness, and this is how it comes about. Here's the prayer. Pray the Holy Spirit, fill all of me, fill all of me. And you cannot be full of yourself and full of the Holy Spirit. What's true physically is true spiritually. Two things cannot occupy the same space. And so you say, Lord, empty me of me. I die, I take up my cross, I die daily. And the Holy Spirit will live through me, love through me, that your Holy Spirit will fill me. And then to Jesus Christ, Jesus, have all of me. All my time, all my energy, all my stuff. Jesus, have all of me. I submit it all to you. I give it all to you. I surrender it all to you. I yield it all to you. If you want to be a bold witness for Jesus Christ, just like that newly engaged woman, a friend of mine who's a worship leader, his girlfriend, he just proposed, and now every single picture on Instagram is a picture of a ring. He never had to tell his girlfriend, hey, show it off. She's bold because she's now filled with this new love. She's filled with this new relationship. And if you pray, Lord, fill me, fill all of me and have all of me, because I want to be a bold witness for you. I want to be used by you. That's the prayer. Uh, a week and a half ago, you may have seen this. Uh, there's a young man named Caden Rorick. Caden Rorick, he lives right here in Cypher area. And there's a fire that broke out a week and a half ago at 2.30 in the morning. He smelled the smoke. He saw the flames. And what did this uh, young Caden Rorick do? He ran to all his neighbor's houses, knocking on the door, screaming, yelling, fire, fire, fire. Get out, get out. Fire, fire, fire. Because he knew this message he had is going to save lives possibly because this fire spread and grew across homes. And he said, one of the families, the news interviewed the neighbors, one of the neighbors knew that the fire was already there, <coughs> was already spreading. They got out. But one neighbor said this, we didn't know there was a fire. 
Caden knocking on our door at 2.30 in the morning was the one that startled us, woke us up, and then we recognized there was a fire spreading through our neighborhood. And so this Caden Rorick, this 11-year-old boy, was bold because he had life-changing, life-saving news. And can you imagine, 2.30 in the morning, some of you may have said, hey, kid, shut up. I'm trying to sleep. It's 2.30 in the morning. But even with opposition, even with mockers, he says, this news is too important to sleep on. And so my friends, my prayer is for all of us, not just me, but for all of us. Holy Spirit, fill all of me. Jesus Christ, have all of me. And in so doing, that we would be bold witnesses for Jesus Christ. So when you face persecution and opposition tomorrow, yeah, pray for protection, for sure. Pray for our governmental leaders, for sure. But here we see the apostles, our prayer, to pray for boldness. Let's pray. God, in the midst of opposition and persecution, God, would we pray, fill the Holy Spirit, pray for boldness and oneness. As we recognize, God, that we're in the middle of a spiritual war, that there are two kingdoms, the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. And God, it's not a us versus them, like us as a church and society or culture. But God, it's the kingdom of light and all the ways that the kingdom of darkness manifests itself in this fallen world. God, we recognize that, that we will have opposition and possibly even persecution. God, we do pray for our brothers and sisters right now who are gathering in open fields, who are perhaps even gathering in prison cells and jail cells, who are gathering in basements, secretly gathering, because they face persecution and even death. God, would you give our brothers and sisters in Christ boldness. This message, the power and authority of Jesus changes lives, saves lives, transforms lives, both in time and eternity. And God, we pray not just for them, but for us as well. God, would you give us boldness, fill all of us, and have all of us. We ask and pray this in Jesus' name, and all God's people said. Master prayer team, come on up to my left and right. Prayer team, left and right. We're gonna do something a little bit different this morning as well. If you have a prayer request, they'd love to pray for you, with you. Uh, also on the app, if you have the Bike City Fellowships from Ranch app, you can submit a prayer request. Uh, but also this morning, we've got these prayer cards up here and some hand sanitizers, some pens. And it's basically boldness and oneness. It says boldness and oneness at the top. And you're simply gonna write this as you pray. <clears throat> God, where do I need to be bold? Is it at work? What place? Is it with the holidays coming up? Thanksgiving's coming up? And I recognize, you know what? When it comes to my family, I'm real timid about my faith. And I got family members that are atheists. They're struggling. They're broken. That don't know Jesus. Perhaps that's the prayer request. And then oneness, oneness. Is there another believer, not a, not a non-Christian, an unbeliever, 
I'm not yet Christian, but another Christian, whether here at Bicey Fellowship or another church, whether here in this building right now or maybe a church in Connecticut or California that you need to be reconciled with, that you're out of fellowship with, that you're not one mind and one soul with. Whether it's your fault, their fault, combination of two, how likely, most likely is in most circumstances, that you need to be reconciled with. Perhaps it's a family member that's also a believer. We're gonna ask you to do, you can come forward now and you're simply gonna fill it out. There's enough room on the stage. And then you're gonna place it in this little basket here, this little bowl. And next week, what we're gonna do is this. We're gonna tape all the prayer requests along the front of the stage. And during the prayer response time, we're gonna ask you to come up and grab one of the prayer cards from someone else and commit to praying for them for the next several weeks. All right, so this is your time. Either come to the prayer team, or if you say, you know what? This is where I need boldness. This is where I believe God wants me to be bold. Not obnoxious, but filled with the Spirit, filled with the love of Jesus, where he wants me to be bold. And if there's another believer that you're saying, you know what, man, I'm out of fellowship with, or maybe even an heir of your life, I recognize that this is my house, my car. I've not submitted it all to Jesus. And I want to be open-handed to yield that to them. These cards are available. I'm going to start right here. First one is mine. This is your time.